everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beal and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are privileged to have with us traveling coach Riley Opalka, J.Y. Aboni. J.Y. played his college tennis at Florida State from 2006 to 2010, where he was a two-time All-American and also ACC Scholar Athlete of the Year and ACC Player of the Year. After graduation, J.Y. got out of the tennis world for a little bit before re-entering the sport he loved, where he then played professionally for a few years and then diving headfirst into coaching. Please welcome to the pod, J.Y. Aboni. J.Y., thank you for joining Steve and myself tonight. David, Steve, thanks for having me on. Really love talking tennis and excited to be on with you guys. I've, I've heard your podcast, so I'm honored to be one of your guests. Oh, well, we're happy to have you on. I know you just recently got back in the States. Uh, so one, I guess, one, you all good. And two, I guess, just kind of talk about the traveling a little bit the past, I don't know, 18, 20 months and how that how that may be taking a little bit out of you and, and the players, obviously. Yeah, no, I just got home a couple of days ago and uh, getting reacquainted with my new life. You know, as uh, you know, I, I've slightly mentioned before, things have changed for me now. So I'm going to be home permanently. So I've decided to take a step back from traveling to uh, I'm going to have my, my first my first baby in That's here good. in about a month and a half. So congratulations. Thank you. So decided that the best thing for me to do was just to st- take a step back so Riley could have someone that's fully committed to him. I can have some time to, to be a dad. You know, most of my life has been traveling as a player, as a coach, and just want to take some time to make put my family first. And, uh, and then we'll see where life goes once things are organized. And then, uh, yeah, traveling has been, uh, geez, I, I didn't, I, there's no word for it. I think traveling around the world and this, the way things have been set up, the way things have been organized for the tennis tour. Um, in a way it's been a, a privilege. So lucky. So many people have not been able to travel that we've been able to go internationally. Um, we did get to go to some places when no one else could, you know? So like once we did get into Europe, if you were in between tournaments, you can kind of sneak out and you'd be all right. But uh, yeah, I mean, just, the amount of COVID tests I've done, the amount of no swabs I've had. <laughs> I mean, you know, easy, easy, over a hundred, easy, wow. easy, you know, because it's, you know what, you know. that's, that's reassuring. I'm sorry. You about the personal aggravation, but I'm kind of glad to hear that in the sense that, that you, you, you kind of want the requirements to be that way. It, it, don't yeah. you think? So? Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for me, it was very reassuring because I knew I was in a safe environment. And the best thing for me, you know, when I was flying back from Paris was, oh my gosh, I'm going to make it these 18 months without having to be quarantined for two weeks in a hotel room in Europe or internationally, right? Like I made it. And so I know it was really hard on the players and coaches. I get it. And, uh, and there were times where of course we questioned it, but the one thing's for sure is we were safe. Um, We were protected and I'm living proof of that. Right. I mean, I've, Gosh, I don't know how many weeks I did internationally and not one negative test. I mean, excuse me, not one positive test. So yeah, yeah they're all negative. We're good. All <laughs> negative. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we, yeah. We, we get the message loud and clear and that that's great. Um, we're going to get into a lot of your work with Riley and your thoughts on the other um, U.S. players, Riley's, uh, Riley's competitors and friends and, and all that good stuff. But before we get into that. We want to learn a little bit more about you. So um, I understand not only did you start very young, but your parents played professionally. 
Yes. And I think that's why I started so young. I mean, both my parents played professionally. My mom only one year. Then she went to travel with my dad who played nine, 10 years. He played in all the slams. Uh, had an uncle that played, had a great grandfather that played, another, I think, uncle that played. I, I mean, it was just in the family. So uh, I didn't have a choice. I don't remember the day I stepped on the court because I was so young. I don't remember, but I was put on the court and there's a photo of me. Um, so that's how long I've been playing tennis since before I can even remember. And uh, yeah, I mean, my, my dad had an academy. My mom worked at the academy as well. And they brought me with them. And there I was every day. Where was that located? In Miami. Okay. In my, so that's where you kind of were born. In, were you born and raised in Miami? Born and raised. Spent all my time there all the way up until I went to Florida State until I was 18. And even uh, after that, once I graduated, came back for a few years before I ended up here in Atlanta, Georgia. Do you remember watching your father play at the majors, J.Y.? Does that, do you have any recollections of that? No, nothing, sadly. You know, but I do have there's this one photo we have in the house of when he played uh, Bjorn Borg. And uh, so, you know, obviously I think just the stories of my dad practicing with Connors, playing against Borg. I mean, he was friends with Vilas, my dad's Argentinian. So they trained together down there. Um, so just hearing his stories of traveling all these places. I remember my dad played in the French Open and he back then that you could park on site and stay overnight. And they had like those sleeper vans you know, from, from, from and, and he would play in the French open, stringing his own rackets by hand, you know, and then just get out of the van and he's in the parking lot already. And then just go practice and go play his match. So no VHS tape, really... no VHS cassettes in the, uh, in the, the Aboni household that you can dig up. <laughs> I haven't seen one uh, unless, unless it's because he, the majority of those matches against those big, big opponents, he lost and he just doesn't <laughs> want to show me. I don't know. So, but I will, I will see if I can call him out and find him, find one. Yeah. But losing to Borg at the French is not really a loss. No, mm -hmm. no. I think this loss was at US Open, if I'm not mistaken, okay. but, uh, okay. you know, but yeah, I mean, look, my dad had a great career, you know, top one to get to play all the slams. I mean, already you, you did a great job. So yeah, he was, yeah. He taught me a lot. That's good. So you can, so you continue playing in college at Florida state now, Coach Kroll, Nick Kroll, he's the head, he's the head man at OU right now, Oklahoma. We had Nick on the on the pod. God, I had him on probably over a year ago. Great guy. He was the associate head coach at that time at Florida State with you. Yeah, he he was the one that one of the coaches that recruited me, him and Dwayne. So okay. he brought me on and uh I, I loved his energy. You know, he I loved practicing against him i mean he was a, he was an unbelievable doubles player so i always wanted to beat him i wanted him in practice just <laughs> so i could try to beat him struggled a lot to beat him um but yeah i had a great time with him there i mean we, we still keep in touch um obviously you know him Dwayne, and then matt clover who, who ended up being the other assistant for the last three years i mean their influence on my life were, were pretty tremendous well, you had a decent, you had a, you had a, just a decent career there. I mean, gosh, what were you? Two-time All-American, ACC Scholar Athlete of the Year, ACC Player of the Year. Uh, you did pretty well for yourself there. You had a great experience, obviously, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was beyond anything I, I imagined. Obviously, when I got to school, all I wanted was to do the best I could for the team and just be a good teammate. I knew we had a really good team. I knew we had a good chance of doing stuff and uh, you know, I, as a junior, at least when I was growing up, you know, if you didn't go straight to pro, the, the thoughts were you probably weren't going to make it. 
So when I got to college, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go pro, but you know what? I, 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 I was already a Florida state fan growing up probably because of all the Charlie Ward work done football games I saw. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I just had so much passion for Florida State, the teammates, we were all friends. A lot of us came from just Florida tennis that ended up there at Florida State. And I just wanted to be the best teammate I could. And I guess just good things happened for me individually, but it was more so for my teammates than anything else. Now, Steve, what's interesting with JY, and, we, and, and I've heard about this with, from a couple of people, after-graduation, you got out of the tennis industry totally. And for yeah. like a couple, for like a few years, right? Yeah, for geez, at least two years. Um, so, I went to, yeah, I was, I, I just burned out uh, towards the end of college. I put so much time and effort in uh, in the summers playing the pro tournaments, you know, doing individual practices with Nick and Matt uh, outside of practice as well, doing extra fitness. Um, you know, I was getting better and better. And so I wanted to, I was excited about my improvements and I was excited about the direction of the team. And, but I really struggled with the stress, uh, the pressure of playing one, um, especially after my sophomore year, I had a really good summer in the pro circuit. So I thought, Hey, I, I really think I can go pro the junior year might be my last year. And I put so much pressure on myself that it actually backfired. Um, and I struggled to figure out a way to handle that. And, you know, the coaches tried to help me and get me to work with a sports psychologist. I wasn't open to it. You know, that's just the truth. Probably should have been because I went to one later on uh, and it helped a lot. But um, once I finished my four years and I was, it was, I was on my own to decide what to do with my life. I just said, I'm going to put the rackets in the closet. I said, I'll play when it's time to, when I want to play. I'm not saying I quit. I'm just, in the meantime, I need to find a job. And I'd fallen in love with the stock market. So I went towards finance. And uh, something happened, I guess, three years in or something that, you know, maybe those Excel spreadsheets didn't get you the same, uh, the same high as doing as, as, as coaching some high level tennis. And is that what eventually kind of drew you back in? Or was there an opportunity that kind of landed on, on your lap that you said, okay, this, this is kind of too good to be true. This may be my, my first love and let's get back into it. You know, the longer I stayed at work, the, the more I was just getting miserable. You know, I was just really struggling with the, the taking orders, not allowed to leave, three computer screens. I still love the stock market, but just I learned how much, it, you know, the environment you're in matters. It has to match your personality. And at that time, I was still young and a little mature and struggling to deal with the, hey, keep your mouth shut. You can't throw a keyboard here and just get a code violation warning and move on. And uh so but it wasn't it wasn't go time coaching right away. I mean, you went on tour and you you play. I mean, you what'd you do? You you won three singles titles and 14 doubles titles in like a yeah. little over three years. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, and, not uh, many people just get out of tennis for three, you know, a few years and then go back and start winning titles uh, professionally. So you did you, you did pretty well. Were you surprised with how well you did once you went back into the tennis arena? Yeah, because I, I had no, no expectations for anything. I, I was just like, look, just be happy. Do it the right way, right? Practice, get a strength and conditioning coach, you know, you know eat well, do everything you need to do. Um, and, yeah, things started coming along and where actually things actually fell apart, I think. I don't, you know, was I start, actually started to do well. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, maybe I do have a shot of at least making grandstand qualities, right? Like I got to 450, 
you know, I got the 280 in doubles in a year. And I was just thought, maybe, maybe, maybe I can do something. And that was the worst thing that could have happened to me because <laughs> what I learned is I actually fell back into the trap of what happened at Florida State, which was as soon as I had uh, the belief and I put on the expectations like, hey, you can really be successful. As much as I tried to focus on getting better, if it wasn't giving me the results I wanted, it was just crushing me. And so the same thing happened. The stress became too much. I put too much pressure on myself, even though I tried to get rid of it. I tried to say, do the right things. My coaches tried to help me. And in the end, I, I had to turn to a psychologist to finally say, look, I help me coach myself, help me deal with my stress. And, um, and that was, I mean, it was the best thing that happened to me, but I think, you know, I, I should have done it earlier, but regardless, it did change my life, you know, moving forward. So why, why do you think you were so successful in the doubles versus the singles? Did you always see yourself as a better doubles player? I played better with a, with a friend. They, they could kind of talk me in and out of some things. They were reassuring, right? You always, you know, before the point starts, you just go over like, Hey, do this or that. Yes. Do this or that. So I think that just gave me more, more confidence at the same time. You know, I had one or two partners that, where, where I was weak, they were strong. So it was a great balance. And I honestly just enjoyed tennis. The doubles to me was less thinking, right? It was just, it's more bang, bang things. Yeah. Have, it's more reactionary. So I didn't have time to overthink shots. I didn't have time by myself to overthink things in between points because as soon as the point was done, I was already talking with my partner. I didn't have time to berate myself, right? I didn't have time yeah. to, 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 to look at how bad I'm playing, I had to move on because my partner also needed the positivity. Um, so it was just a great balance for me. I wish I would actually would have stuck with it more, you know, even though I was doing well in doubles my first year, I, I wanted to do well in singles because the reality is there's just more money in singles. So I was like, okay, this is great. I'm doing well in doubles, but singles is where it's all, it's where all the glory is, right? It's where, <laughs> you know, so, um, but yeah, that was a, that was a good experience. So how did you get, um, how, I guess, how did you get in touch with Riley? And, I, and we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. I'll try to keep the story short. The, the story short. So when, when I started playing again after working in finance, um, I just needed some players to practice with. I was in South Florida. I called up uh, Diego Moyano at the USTA. And he's like, look, I, I got some kids here. If you're interested in practicing with them, but they're not pros. And they were a 14-year-old, Riley Opelka, Tommy Paul, uh, Red Licky, Alex Rybakov. And uh, I said, look, I, I don't care. Can they hit the ball? Yeah, of course. He's like, they're good juniors. Great. Sign me up. And so that's where I met Riley for the first time, you know, grinding on the court together. How tall was um, he at 14? Already taller than me. I mean, he was already <laughs> six-something. Six um, so, but then fast forward you know, when I'm finishing, I kind of kind of put the word out that I was finishing up. It was my last year when I was playing. And uh, Brad Stein at the time uh, was the first one who, who reached out to me. I, I was close to Brad Stein. He was my coach for the Pan American Games. And he said, hey, would you be interested in uh, working with Riley Opelka? I, you know, I hear he's looking for a travel coach. Um, but he had just won Wimbledon Juniors. He had just turned pro. So it's it was really just a, a small gig just to travel with him, you know, 10, 15 weeks a year. And I was just getting off the tour and 
as we all know, finishing playing on the Futures Tour for a few years, I was quite in debt. So um, I, I started with him at first, and then I got a, I, I got a full-time offer at a country club, and I said, look, I, I'd love to continue, but he was 750, 800 in the world. I'm like, look, I, I'm sure you're going to be great, but I, I need a paycheck. I have a wife, and uh, so let me get this job. And then he understood. He was great with it. But then circle back a year and a half later, and uh, he's – He'd gone from what he gone up to about 120 in the world, but falling back to 250 was changing coaches. And, but now he was calling me to work 30 weeks a year, you know, and with now the USTA is involved, they're supporting us. Um, if something went wrong with him, then they said that they could help me find another American player to work with. So, I was, and I'd done a year and a half in country club tennis. And I was like, uh, I, I always knew Riley could be top 10. So I said, okay, look, I'm in a much better financial position. There's a much better financial backing on, on his end because he had done better. So I said, uh, well, first I had to speak to my wife, right? I said, sorry, but I'm going back on the road again. <laughs> so she, she was she was okay with it. And that's how we got back together. That was, 2000, that was the end of 2017 when we agreed to start 2018. And Jay was and Jay Berger was involved with that. So I know Steve and I were interested in kind of talking about that dynamic, how you and Jay work um, with Riley. Yeah. So Jay had a few months before that finished up with the USTA, moved to South Florida. Riley was originally training at Lake Nona in Orlando, was moving back to South Florida as well. So, you know, he, Riley had a great relationship with Jay growing up in the USTA uh, player development program. And so and, and I knew Jay from when I was like 12 years old, right? He was, he was living in Miami as well. He was part of the USTA already when I was growing up as a junior. So we had a long relationship. Jay knew my dad. I mean, we went way back. So, you know, the whole plan of the team was for him to oversee everything, which made sense. I mean, I had no experience coaching a, a player of his level. So he was going to oversee everything, take care of the home training, go to a couple of tournaments of the year with us. i spend some weeks with them training together to, to get up to speed. And, you know, I had Jay, I mean, geez, even when I was on the phone, I'd travel 30 weeks a year. I was on the phone with you do there on the phone, emailing or texting Jay every single day. So, I mean, it was, it was just a, a great team dynamic because I mean, Jay's experience was, geez, it was, it was priceless. And there's no way I, I could have even lasted four years without his help and support and helping me grow as a coach. That's interesting. So, I mean, this year, what, Riley was, Riley's ranked 25. Uh, he's 25th in the world, fourth round of the U.S. Open, beats Tsitsipas, Montreal, makes his first Masters 1000 final. You said you've been with him for four years. Um, yeah. Steve, I guess I'll ask you. If, I, if you don't mind, I'll ask my co-host the question. Um, I, what, what do you think about Riley's game, where it is now, where it can be going forward, along with um, – along with, with the other U.S. guys, the Tommy Pauls, the Francis Tifos, Taylor Fritz. I mean, Taylor's playing great, too. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we got so many. Obviously, we can talk about Corda as well. There's so many great prospects. He's younger. But I, I, what I'd be curious to know from J.Y., I mean, my impression on Riley, when, he, when he's in the right frame of mind, it seemed like when he got to that final, I mean, there, there's, you can see it in his face. I mean, everything, granted, some long, tough matches. He had a tough one with Lloyd Harris there, and he squeaked out of that, and he got, he beat Tsitsipas in a terrific match and eventually lost that final. 
you know, on, it, it was it was a great, great run for him there. Good tennis at the Open, too, before losing to Lloyd Harris. But what I'm wondering, having seen him a couple of times in the fall, too, then I see him get very down. I, there's a dark side. I don't mean that in it. I don't mean that to be overly critical, but I, it's fascinating to me to see his different frames of mind while some of the other guys, they stay on more of an even keel. Can you talk about that part of Riley? Because to me, if he can conquer that, then your prediction of top 10, it, it, it could very well be true. could very well come true. It might even happen next year. But to me, a lot of that comes down to the consistency of not only his game, but his attitude. Can you talk about what you experienced on that, JY? Yeah, I mean, everything you said was 100% right. I mean, it, it, for him, I mean, for all players, but, but definitely for him, at that level, the mental game is the most important part. You know, it's, it's, doesn't, it's not so much about technique. It's how you handle the moments. It's how you handle the, 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 the day-to-day because these guys are so good. That, you know, when you're actually playing in a match, for most guys, unless you're Djokovic or, or Medvedev right now, you're not quite sure when you're going to get that break point because the opponents are so good. But you just have to stay in there calm, believing that you just, you're going to get your chance. Um, and so that's the number one thing we've been working on is stay in the moment, believe in yourself, stick with it, and you'll get your shot. And, and treat every point exactly the same with the same importance and just push forward. And it, but if you're unhappy with something, just learn from it and do better. And just focus on your intentions. What are you intending to do? And then let the results happen. You know, and I think a lot of times is, you know, he, he's so passionate. He, he works so hard. So, I mean, it, it, I don't even, I don't think people understand how hard he works. The amount of time he puts in the gym, he watches his own matches when we're not, when we're not even watching you know, he writes down notes from his own matches and then we'll, we'll bring it to practice and just talk about something. But I think sometimes with, hey, with all that work. Sorry to interrupt. That's fascinating. Just, can you just give us a hypothetical example? I, don't want, I know you don't want to give away, but just an example of what, what would be in those notes and how it might, how it might either uh, reinforce what you thought or maybe be going down a different path. Just, just an example of what, would go into his notes, which I don't know how many players do that. Can you can you tell us? Yeah, for, I mean he'll he'll be noticing right if there's a certain pattern as to how he lost break points. You know he'll notice he's like, yeah, I got to the break point and I, I simply just wanted to make the return. You know, I worked so hard to finally get my. He doesn't get many break points, right? I mean, he's not you know he's just not the best returner in the world. So when he finally gets that break point, he can you know there were moments where he'd be a little tentative. Right. And so he noticed that he's like, yeah, I just noticed I hit this return well, but I love 30. But then I get to 30, 40 and I just I kind of just didn't even move my racket. And then the ball went nowhere. And then I'm just running like and then he'll notice he's like, yeah, then I move out to the forehand and I hit this forehand and I'm missing it. And just my foot doesn't look like it's in the right position. I'm not following through the right way I should have. And so and then we bring that and then we look at it in the court and we try to work on it. And then uh, and he's like, yeah. And then. He's like, I, I realized last time I was playing this guy, I was doing this well, you know, especially if he's going to play them again, right? He's like, I, you know, is there a way I can – can I redo that? Do you think they're going to adjust for that? And then we can talk things out. So that those are some of the things that he's looking at. And I, a, a big part of that is, uh, you know, he works with uh, Dr. Jim Lair. So Jim Lair's big on note-taking, writing things down. And so he, he's learned a great habit from that. 
And, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day for him, you know, with, with all this work, it, I guess it's a, I can understand it because I went through the same, when you work so hard, you think like, well, I, I should win. Right. Isn't that what should happen? Right. I worked my butt off for months. It's time for me to win. And tennis can be such a brutal sport that where you just, for most guys, you don't, you know, they're not winning semis and finals every week, but you can still be top 10, just kind of winning a round or two here and making a big run at the right time. Um, but that's not very easy to handle as a player because you've been working so hard. And then all of a sudden here you are two, two months later and you've only reached one third round, you know, but then you kind of relax and then you make that run out of nowhere. So yeah. it's hard. Notes, notes, but the notes you described, are, are self-critical, which is great. I understand that. D are there times when he would come to you with notes when he was really pleased and said, I did this, this, and this. I made that return on that break point. I made a great first volley under pressure when I was afraid I was going to lose my serve. Is, is there something to balance it so that he's not, I mean, I would think that's an area that Jim Lair might talk about too, but, but what about from your perspective? Do you, are, are those notes, are the the positive notes mixed in with the negative they they need to be better mixed in when on the losses you know it's it's hard to see good things happen in some losses um you know for example i thought he didn't play a bad match against brooksby in antwerp right uh, i thought brooksby just played well riley didn't play his best but i mean brooksby made him either play his, his best tennis ever or he just wasn't going to win that day but there, there were still some solid things, but that's hard to see. You know, sometimes you just see the loss and you only see, yeah, I should have, I could have done this. I could have done that. It's like, okay, but there's an entirety there. And there's also an opponent that, like I said, sometimes these guys just play well enough to where, and it can happen three, four, five, six matches in a row. Unfortunately, you know, that's just the nature of the sport, especially this time of year. There's not many tournaments. Draws are small. You're playing a top guy first round, even if you're seated. Right. Lloyd Harris wasn't even seated in some of these tournaments. You have Tiafo not seated in some of these tournaments. So, I mean, that's your first round opponent. To kind of go along with what Steve was, was saying, and, and it's a good question to ask you because you've been working, you were with Riley for four years. Was there a certain week or a month or was it a specific match um, where it's where, where Riley really, got that belief and said, Hey, I can do this. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to get top 20, I'm going to get top 30, but was there something, was there one match or one week or, or, you know, a couple weeks in a row where said, you know what, I can be a really good professional tennis player here and I could be consistent top 40 in the world, top 30 or even better. I think some of those wins actually came early when, I had stopped work with him the first time when he first got to 120 in the world, you know, he made semis of Atlanta, that 250. Um, I forget who he lost to. I think he beat Kevin Anderson. He beat Donald Young, who was still a top 60 at the time. Um, he went to Cincinnati, had, had another good win there. I think he lost to Medvedev, six in the third. So, I mean, he was already at 18 years. I mean, he lost to Gofen, six, four in the fifth in Australia after qualifying. Mm -hmm. So he was already starting to have those uh, those runs early and also just seeing other Americans, right? Just seeing Tiafo get up there early, you know, seeing Tommy Paul make the, that run up early when he was young, seeing Fritz, right? These were his peers growing up. So it's a little, it's not something we discussed, but it's a little bit of, well, hey, if they can do it, well, I can do it, you know? So 
And I think that's also what's happening with a lot of these young guys. They see all their other peers right now and, and they're just pushing each other. And so I think it's exciting what's happened. And I think that's what pushed him, you know, the, the, the Wimbledon match against Warinka, um, 2019, I believe second round fifth set. That was his first fifth set win. Um, I think he was also down two sets to one, which is huge. Uh, coming back to an eight, six in the fifth, you know, that, that was a great way to see that he could trust his body. You know, he went through a lot of injuries growing up. So he's like, Hey, I can make it through a five set match. So that, that gave him belief in that end. Um, I mean, beating Fognini first round us open later that year, 2019 Fognini is what 10, 11 in the world. So he, so I mean, just every match just added something new. And then also as he got better in practice, you know, as we, we kept making improvements and he started to feel these improvements. He's like, Oh wow. Like I'm really starting to feel that forehand. Oh gee. Yeah. That open stance backhand, like it's coming along. Oh, that volley. Right. And so little by little, all these things are adding up and just, fueling the fire so what about this year though you're th those are those are very interesting recollections of the way up but this was obviously a very big year for him you know, reaching that masters 1000 final a semi on the clay in europe i mean he had some big results and maybe the end of the year wasn't quite as good as this summer but he must be pretty proud of the advances he made how, how did you feel about this year and and what were the keys to all the success this year well, I think two things stand out for the whole year. The, the, the first thing is it's not from our side like anything really changed. You know, the, the things we wanted to work on, the mentality being the first and most important thing, developing the overall game and just letting results happen when they happen. Just make sure you're doing the work. That was always there. I think one of the things that changed right around Rome, and it's not like it is a little bit of an excuse, but traveling through COVID was really hard. And figuring out how to manage that, because Riley's a social person. He, he's a foodie guy. He loves seeing cities. He loves learning about cultures. He loves going to museums. He loves learning about new restaurants and trying new foods. And, and that's part of why a lot of these players love their careers, right? That's a great plus for being a pro tennis player. And all that is now taken away. And not only that, you're stuck in a hotel room. Can't go anywhere. And that's really hard, especially internationally, when for a lot of times your friends are still sleeping or at work when you want to talk to them. The time change was tough. And so figuring out how to manage the, the travel schedule, figuring out how to manage, you know, which tournaments to go to, which ones not to. Usually we were playing in the States for, for that February, March time. We had to go to Rotterdam, uh, Dubai and Doha straight from that six-week trip to Australia where we already quarantined for two weeks. For an American, that was a tough trip, right? But Riley knew I have to play tournaments. This is the best schedule. I have to do what I can. But he was pushing through a lot of frustration, and I think we all were, and, and not just him, but a lot. there's other players too. I'm not going to name them, but you could see it in their level of play, like, geez, you know, COVID's really – this schedule is hard on them. So during Rome, you know – you know, that was when they started to allow us to walk around for an hour, right? We we left Madrid early because once you were in Europe, uh, you could go to the next tournament and not be in the bubble, right? So long as you weren't practicing on site. So we found a private court to practice in, in Rome for a few days by ourselves. We had some quiet practice. 
We ran around the city. We did the things he loved. So by the time he got to, to he got into the tournament late in Rome, but he's like, I'm ready to play. You know, I've seen Rome, right? I've been in the museums. Let's go. Let's play tennis. You know, and, refreshing, and so, just mentally refreshing, basically. Very mentally refreshing. And so it was great. And I think um, the same thing with the U.S. swing. You know, most of these tournaments now, they start to open up more. And even though now Toronto was a full bubble, but to their credit, it was the best bubble we had been a part of. You know, they just a one example, right? They, they, they gave us a car. You had the choice to have your own private car to drive to and from the site. So even though you weren't allowed to leave the hotel or, or the tournament, you had a car that so that gave you a little freedom to come and go when you wanted. Right. You could put your own music on in the car. Little things like that mattered. The rooms were suites. All the rooms we were staying in had a living room and a bedroom. If you've been to a European hotel, <laughs> you know, you, you don't even have a place to put your bag down, you know, and he, here's a seven footer, you know, trying to fit in a small European hotel room and he can't leave. Yeah. I mean, it's not really enjoyable. Right. And no. then the other thing Toronto had was that the whole, you know, they only allowing fans in the, the, the main stadium. So the whole other side where all the courts were only for the players. Right. So we were allowed to walk around. We had space. We had fresh air. We had, you know, warm up areas that were massive, a big dining area. Um, the tournament director was coming out to talk to us, call every day just to check in. Hey, do you guys need anything? So all these little things were just kind of allowing things to be a little more normal again. And so then we're not thinking about all this other stuff. We can just play tennis again. And so now that allowed all that work he's been putting in that just wasn't allowed to come out because it was just, it was just hard for him and for everybody. So finally he could play again. Uh, and, and there the results started to show up. Yeah. He had a great year and I'll, and I'll ask you, and then I'll, I'll ask Steve to see if he agrees with you or if Steve has a different view, we'll put Riley aside because we know you're biased towards Riley. So you can't mention him, but of the <laughs> Americans that we spoke, you know, the, you know, Tommy Paul, Taylor, Fritz, Francis Tifo, and Steve mentioned too, you know, Jensen Brooks, Brooksby, Sebastian Quarter. they're a little bit younger. Um, you, you're obviously bullish on these guys. These guys are starting to have really good results. Of that group, I mean, can can you pick with, without upsetting anybody? Can you can you give one or two guys that think really going to, uh, you know, go deep, deep, and I mean really deep, consistently in these Masters 1000s or slams, if, if you had to? Steve, you going first? <laughs> no, I asked you first. <laughs> you, JY, you got to lead lead us off. I'll follow you. All right. Well, there's there's the obvious one in Corda, right? Where just he complete game, professional, calm, Alden Court, doing all the right things. So I think you know he's definitely got a great shot. Um, Brooksby is really interesting to me. It's just a matter of can he be healthy? You know, he, he struggled to have been healthy, but he's shown his fight, his attitude, the way he approaches every day is the mentality you need to get to top 10. It, it, it's and that's and so I'm excited to see what he does. But, you know, and then I'll just throw in one random, not random name, but geez, Nakashima. I mean, that's not a random name. I mean, he, he don't forget about him. I mean, he's coming up. And then I think what these guys are doing is the the motivation they're giving Tiafo and Fritz and Riley now and Tommy 
and look, and, and Isner still there, right? I know. So he, these, it, they're all, they're all looking at each other and saying, well, if he can do it, I can do it, you know? So, you know, no, no, he, he's in court. I got to make semis then, you know, look at, look at Tiafo having his resurgence again, working with Wayne. I mean, he's playing with his passion. That's unbelievable. Taylor with his run, you know, these last couple of weeks, it, it's, it's just, it's incredible. How it's happening back to back. It's one guy and another and another, and that now these guys are working so hard. And I think it's going to be exciting when it all comes together. Um, I think it's going to be we're a couple of years, maybe two, three years from, from a consistent player there. But we might be having a couple there. Steve, uh, I, I know I, your thoughts on Corda, but I'll let you, you, you tell yeah, J.Y. No, about we feel Corda. I, I thought J.Y. summed that up. Well, he's just such a good all-around player. And he had a little bit – he was a bit injury-prone this year. And – so his results were great earlier in the year, and now he's coming on strong. And at the end, I mean, he took a set up. Medvedev and Paris had a nice week there, and I feel like he's going to start off next year and have a big year. And Brooksby fascinates me because he's doing this all with what I think of all those guys. His, his serve is the least effective to me of any of those guys, and yet, and yet, look what the run he had at the U.S. Open, and he get it's, he's inside the top 60, and – there's no doubt in the world to me that his serve could improve immensely in, in the coming years with, if he puts the work in with that. And uh, JY, what I, what reason I allude to that is I'm thinking about the Paris, the qualifying for instance, for, for Paris and Brooksby's in a couple of long, long three setters and then pulls out with an abdominal problem. And I feel like that will change in the years ahead. If, if they put a greater emphasis on his serve, because otherwise I think he's, he's kind of a genius. I, I think I underestimated him at first at the open watching the match with Fritz. I thought he was a little fortunate to get out of that, having lost the first and winning a long time break in the second, but then watching him moving along in that tournament and beating Karatsev and taking a set up Novak, I became a lot more convinced. So I think he sized it up well. And I also getting back to what you said, I, I think of an interview I did a few years ago with Fritz, where he talked about how he and Tiafo would text each other about their rankings and needle each other and say, no, we have to be top 30. We're both going to be in the top 30. It's going to happen this year. And, and, and I feel like that it's a very healthy, competitive climate for all those young Americans pushing each other. And I'm sure they see Taylor get to the top of the charts among the Americans and they want to wrestle that away from him, but in a, in a kind of a healthy, competitive way. I, I don't think we've had a period like this in American tennis for a long, long time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They're all still, we're, we're getting some consistent results right now from these guys. It's great to see. Yeah. Thinking back to Roddick and Blake and fish in that era, I just feel it's been a long time that we've had this many capable players that who in the next couple of years are going to inevitably make, make some immense strides. And it's starting yeah. like to be more consistent, right? Every once in a while, you know, you had Tiafo's great run in Australia a couple of years ago. And then he yeah. dipped a little bit like it's starting to become more consistent, which is uh, which is, you know, we're, we're we're on the right path. Right, J.Y.? Yeah. And I think, you know, especially for, for Fritz and Riley and Tiafo, right, some of these guys that have now made the moves into top 10, top 15, Casper, Hubi, I mean, Sissipas, these are guys that are around their age range. And so they saw they saw that and they're. I mean, after spent like I've, I've been around these guys in a locker room. I spent time with these guys in a practice court, and one of the things I've I've learned to see is not just where they are now, but where where can they be? And all these guys can still get better. There's things in their game that can get better, but they know that too. 
and they're working on those things. And so that's where I'm excited is when all their games finally come together. And yes, would we have loved to have somebody in the top five, of course, but you know what, this is where we are. But the one thing for sure is these guys are working and they're working on the court and they're off to court and they're hungry and they see each other and they want it. You said something really key right there. It's one thing if their coach knows that they can get better, but you just said they also know they can get better. And I think one, you know, if you have that, if you have the coach and the player itself knowing they can get better, it, it, it's all good stuff going forward, 100%. Yeah, there's a legit belief in these guys that they can continue moving up. So that's going to fuel their practice. And when they lose, they're angry. You know, they're not just happy just being there in the top 30 making decent money. So these guys want more. No, that's great. JY, uh, thank you for spending your time with us tonight. Congratulations on all the work you did with Riley. I know you're going to be staying home this year again. Um, congratulations on being father for the first time. Um, but, but you know, congratulations really with all your work with Riley. And I mean, the move that he made, especially this year, uh, I know you're, you're really proud. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey, especially that run in Toronto. Um, after he beat Sissipas, the way he was winning those matches were hard. The opponents he was beating back-to-back, he had two late-night matches to start the tournament. Um, then seeing him win a couple matches there at the U.S. Open, playing far from his best tennis, which is what I love. I want to see players winning when they're not playing their best tennis. I, I'm just so proud of the things he's overcome, the things he got through this year, as hard as it was with the COVID travel to see where he is now, uh, to see the person he's been. I mean, if Geez, I've known him for since he was 14 years old. And to see the person and the player he's become is I'm, I'm just so happy for him, his family, his team. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what he can do now moving forward. JY, this was fun, man. Thank you so much for spending time. This was a lot of fun. And we look forward to uh, seeing what all these Americans do in the next uh, next few years because they're on they're they're on a good roll right now. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all these podcasts. They're great. I love listening to them. Thank you for having me on and would love to do this again sometime. Appreciate it.